0: Is this thing on, Dale?
1: We're on. We're live. We're on.
0: Okay. So check it out. Dale Holmes has a new podcast headquarters, at least for this week. This is me, by the way. This is Dr. J. Rich, just so you know, sitting here with Dale Holmes. He let me uh, bring in the podcast. And today we have a guest, and his name is Chris Powell, Esquire, MTB Esquire. (laughs) And uh, we have, he's kind of a behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, and all over the scenes kind of guy as it comes to BMX, MTB, and cycling in general. Chris, what's
2: up? Hey, thanks guys. I'm, I'm stuck to be on the show, uh, whatever you're calling it this week.
1: Um, <laughs> I've always enjoyed listening to past
2: episodes when I'm on my spin trainer riding on Zwift or uh, in the car traveling around. So thanks for having me.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for doing this, Chris. We always chat and uh, ride a little bit locally. Um, first of all, Jason, tell us about the setting today.
0: So this is pretty good. We are in, this is the big conference room. Yep. This, and it is, it's, how many chairs? Anyways, this is where all the deals go down. This is where the divorces happen. This is where <laughs> this is yeah. This is where millions of dollars are signed over to the other side. Um, and I think, if, if I recall, the, the core of your business, from a legal standpoint, is business divorces. A lot of IP, a lot of technical stuff. So, if two people are partners in a business, you help them part ways amicably, amicably, and all that other stuff, right?
2: Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Uh, Generally, I do business law, and under that okay. umbrella, what I would call business divorce is certainly a significant part of But divorce is sexy. It. We, yeah. got, we want the fans to
0: be turning up the radio right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it can be. I mean, whenever you separate a business relationship, it's much like divorce. Things get heated, and especially when there's money involved, uh, it can be pretty contentious. So it's fun to be able to come in and help people that have challenges that they can't solve themselves. So that they can separate their interests in an entity or part ways and you know move on with their lives.
0: If only you were there for Cycle Pro and Greg Hill. <laughs> if only you were there for Haro and Haro. If only you were there. No, I'm just playing. Right. I'm just playing. I'm GT, gonna... that'd have been a big one. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, Well, GT, you know, when Rich died, it. Beca- yeah. So I don't. That's that was a. I don't know if that was a divorce. That was just a loss. But um. Yeah. yeah Anyways, you... but. BMX could have used you and still can. So let's get into that. Yeah. Dale, sure. what do you, you have? Dale has a list of notes.
1: I made a few little notes because not everybody will kind of know um, too much about Chris. So we thought one wanted to hit some of the points because he's, like I say, he's a little bit behind the scenes type guy, but still heavily a big fan. He rides all the time and, yeah, he's got a good story. Um, before we start, you want to say
0: something about Jelly? I do. Um, I don't like talking about it because it's, it's just a bummer. But But we love you, Jelly, and we wish the very 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 best for you and your family and the dutch team dutch country or the netherlands as as it is um yeah just super bummed out to hear about what happened and uh hopefully you're on your way to to a recovery and we'll see you soon at a race um shortly absolutely healing vibes jelly all right chris let's
1: uh i guess let's go to the start what will we say at the start um How'd you get into BMX?
2: Yeah, sounds good. Well, my entire life, I mean, my earliest memories, I've always had a passion for riding bikes. Started with jumping curbs, that kind of thing, like most of us. And I I think when I was around eight or nine, this would have been in the late 80s, early 90s, my parents bought me a box set of sports books. Mm -hmm. And one of the books, or each book touched on a different sport, right? So I had mainstream sports, and then it had other sports, including BMX. And I had no idea that racing was even a thing until I saw this book and I loved bikes and I thought it would be something that would be super fun. So I called a local bike shop and asked them if there were any BMX tracks in the area. And my parents knew I was serious about it because I was a really shy kid. And they told me that I could ride a track if I found one myself. So I, uh, I took the initiative and found a local track and they took us to it. That was Santa Clara Pal. How'd you find one without the internet? Uh, Yellow Pages. So, <laughs> so you, I just so started cold calling bike shops. All right. do, you know, do you know about BMX? Is there a track <laughs> in the area? That's good. At, at what age? Uh, that would have been probably eight or nine years old. That's yeah. pretty good. Because you know
0: second, now... It's second, like, second grade? Yeah. Because most parents, um, they find the track, they tell them they're racing, they choose their uniform, they choose their helmet, they tell them when they're training, they tell them when to go to practice. And then they make a play date with other BMX friends so that they can do BMX.
2: Yeah. Okay. My, my parents were supportive, but they were, um, they were always concerned about the risks associated with the support. So they tended to sit back and um, support me as long as I took the initiative to go out and try and do things myself. Pal had a good scene, didn't it? Like, Hayek, Townsend, Romero? Yeah. Romero, I, yeah. Chris Acacia. Acacia, yeah yeah, 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 there were several fast amateurs in the, um, in the 90s that came out of that track. We raced a gold
1: cup, I think, there, in the 90s. And I remember being in the main with you, Jason. It was uh, when everybody used to go do all the gold cups. There was a Meathead track, too. Yeah, I I was it was Meathead, yeah. I was battling for And the, third, old, yeah. the old
0: Santa Clara was Meathead, and the new one was Meathead. They I were both go, Meathead. I just went to that one in <laughs> the, right.
1: the mid-90s. Yeah, it was tough. It was, you know, say all the people like Jamie and... Thomas and you Mm -hmm. Romero obviously good there and then shout out out to
0: Neil Wood he crashed me in the third main (laughs) and I separated my collarbone well that's
1: I remember this race because we actually had three English guys in the main it's me Neil and uh, jamie so i there think that go. was like our first little time all three of us made the main in the oh US. wow yeah that's why i remember it but i do remember battling with you on the third straight rhythm anyway back to chris yeah yeah It <laughs> 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 was not much battling with me on the rhythm in the third straight with We're like fourth place battle i do remember i, I still i don't know why that's true it wasn't much of a rhythm I right <laughs> all right chris carry on yeah yeah
2: yeah so i uh, uh just raced occasionally uh As a young kid, and then I think I started getting serious about it and doing, you know, regular consistent weekly night local races when I was around 10, 11 years old. And then uh, I did one year racing the regional nationals that were like in California or Arizona and didn't really have any success making mains. I was just, you know, getting into it, kind of motophil at the time. But um, the following year, I got some speed and started making mains and then got a ride with uh, Free Agent Bikes. Uh, at the time, they were just putting together an amateur team. So that was still
1: KHS, right? Yeah, it was still yeah. KHS. Yeah.
2: And they had, uh, Dave Cullinan was the pro for the mountain bike team, and he was doing occasional BMX race. That's when
1: Cully raced in a mountain bike jersey then and raced a bit of A Pro. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. remember, yeah, yeah.
2: That was a brief moment in history, yeah. yeah. So uh, Cindy Cindy Davis was I think she was number one girl at the time. I mean she dominated in the nineties, and she was the pro or the the girl on the team, and I knew her through a family friend, and she put in a word with the guy that was running the free agent team. Downtown Dave Brown. Downtown Dave Brown, yep. And uh she had told me that if I went to, you know, whatever national was coming up and I did well there, you know, made mains, that there's a chance I could be on the team. That story really exists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you heard somebody say, yeah, I used to race BMX. Right. And
0: I almost rode for GT. Right, and they almost. said if I made the main at this race, I'd be factory, but I got a flat tire. And, right, yeah, yeah, know, yeah, My dad didn't take me because so I, I went got to a Hushin B in Stead. my class. Yeah, yeah was, no, <laughs> seriously. I mean, I, I went from barely
2: making mains to hole-shotting mains, um, In the span of you know less than a month I mean it it wasn't fitness or training or anything and I was only 12 it was just I think it was a mindset change realizing that I had an opportunity and that somebody believed in me enough that they thought if I did well once that I could continue to do well for them and that was all it took so I I got the ride with free agent and it was cool you know amateur teams at the time even on the uh, lower tier teams, still offered some travel and accommodation support and free product and things like that so we had a decent year kind of it was a definitely a building year for me because it was only my second year racing nationals but the team unfortunately disbanded at the end of the year and i did well enough that i caught the eye of mark browning who was a rider a cruiser older cruiser rider for yeah. redline at the time yeah yeah and he uh he recommended me to greg hill at grand's because he knew my rider fridge. Mm-hmm. it was up in Greg watched me at Brands and I, I did pretty well there. I, think I got a third and a fifth. Who and won your class? Yeah, who was in your class? Yeah. Yeah, my... my it was David Kelly, Matt Riley, Anthony Aguilar. David but, Kelly, he was a world champion. But, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, he dominated. He was the... Is San Diego, though? Yeah? I
0: don't know. Maybe. Glasses. Sounds about right. Glasses. Yeah, sounds about
2: right. Yeah. Um, and there were others as, as well, but n- none of the riders in my age group went on to have a a real pro career, or even in the age group above me, which I think was more stacked, which was like Shanahan, name. They couldn't because we, because
0: those were our jobs. <laughs> right. There was nowhere yeah. for them to go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that class, man, again, we're branching off, but yeah, Shanahan, Lavaldi, Mario, obviously Mario made the... Canberra. Yeah, Canberra.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of, a lot of those big amateur names that were dominant for, you know, a good run in the, the late 90s or even early 2000s, and they didn't have, um, really successful pro careers or didn't have longevity in the pro class, but then a couple years younger than me, you've got Mike Day and yeah. Donnie Robinson and those guys yeah. and timing's a big thing. Mm. So speaking of timing, so you're so Browning puts in a word for you who
0: coincident or should say incidentally, he was, he he was a part of Justin Green's success oh, back in the day. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I had yeah. my I know Mark Browning from back at my almost riding for Diamondback days and riding for Razorback he was around back but yeah there. he yeah. yeah him and Justin Green lived I think in the same town or from the same local track and so uh, so Browning Mark Browning is a I just know him as Greg Hill's super, buddy yeah, yeah, super yeah. good dude yeah. super smart mm-hmm. um, he's a teacher right he's a teacher he yeah. teaches farming or something like that but his class wins like whatever farm yeah, thing, Central like Central Valley. Yeah, yeah I like, think he does they, like that. they have the best pig every year. Bomber like of the year. <laughs> something like that. Anyways, you're <laughs> riding for Redline
2: yeah. um, the following year. Yeah, so I got picked up by Redline, and Greg That's Hill huge. was the team manager. It was. It was an amazing opportunity. They were owned by Seattle Bike Supply at the time, and they wanted to put in a, a pretty sizable effort into an amateur team with John Persis, the pro. And then Greg Hill was the um, – he was like an ambassador – slash team manager slash uh, coach and teacher cause mm-hmm. he was also traveling the country with the red line box van doing his speed seminars. So uh, once summer came around mid-season, I had the opportunity to travel from, I think we drove from Colorado to the East Coast and stopped at various nationals along the way and um, did clinics during the weekdays and rode and trained with um, Purse and, and Greg and I just... I got some great speed from it because I had never done anything structured mm-hmm. like that and uh, did really well at the World Championships that summer. It was my first year racing at UCI Worlds. I got third on both bikes. Oh, you did? Yeah, Canada? Canada. Yep, well. in Saskatoon. Um, well, I won the whole shot. So it's 97. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 97. I had a massive whole shot. And then... Um, I you didn't cut it d- over? D- uh, the Dutch rider uh, um, Rob van der Wildeberg, Yeah, yeah, he won I, there, yeah. I, I left a I left room in the second turn so big that it was on Webco. Everybody could have passed me in that. Oh, turn. I looking at the video. I got it. Yeah, he stuffed. Yeah. He stuffed just, me pretty. I loud. actually like
0: that track. Steve Veltman blew, blew. Well, he actually got to the main, but he I crashed. was in second. No, he pull, He was pulling up for the jump going into the first corner, and he pulled up. He went from like lane three ish to lane six, and then I I was out and I crashed.
2: Yeah. Anyways. Um, Yeah, so that was (laughs) classic. And Cruiser... Love you, Steve. (laughs) Cruiser was... I was 15. It was 15, 16 combined. And I think George Andrews won that one. And he was... Mangler. He was bad. It was interesting. Um, At the time, I I didn't even think about this until a couple months ago when I looked at the results. But uh, I recall Mangler battling with someone for first. And then the guy he was battling with crashed like right at the finish line. Mm. And I had my own battles kind of in like the third through fifth range. Just shuffling around, and um, I benefited from the guy falling at the finish line, went from fourth to third. But later learned when I was looking at the results that the guy he was battling with was Michael Prokop. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. I, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, Michael yeah. and I wound up racing each other. Yeah, for quite well, a few years. I'll we'll get, get into that. Ali a was in
0: my Moto's that year. He was Thomas was he was in the main though. Was what Thomas he was like fourth? Yeah, third fourth fourth. Hayden yeah. yeah. got
2: third. Yeah, that was a really cool experience from being an amateur and um, being a part of the team where a rider then went on to win the world title because. Uh, John and Greg are both pretty serious people and no, and, 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 you know, I highly motivated. So it was, it was cool to see the their preparation for the race and, um, for some reason, I seem to remember, like, JP running a 44 and flat pedals, like, all of qualifying and everything. And then he bumped up and clipped and in. Then, yeah, and then I, I... Is that true that he did clip in? Yeah, yeah, main? yeah. He yeah, would do that. that. I meant to talk about it yeah, the but Hills podcast. I yeah, he would, would it do it that. Out. He would, like, bump
0: up a tooth
1: and clip in. They I even we did my, a Cole Canyon once, third main and one.
2: Yeah. yeah. That was my recollection is b- before the World Championship main event, Hill told... It
0: kind of it makes sense. Hill right?
2: told John to clip yeah. in and put a 45 on and first did it, no questions asked, and then went on to... Good for that last straight Real Romero. In. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that may have been the
0: difference. Because that's a long, you know, yeah. if you have gas in the tank. So I I don't want to, I know you just mentioned it, but there's, I think there's something to be said for being on the road and riding and racing constantly. Because I remember when I first got on Auburn, same deal. Like, TC showed up at my house with the Auburn van, with Nige, and shout out Nige Von Trotha, Claude Von Trotha, but Like, we just hit the road for the summer and did clinics and raced, and I had the best summer ever. Not, like, fun-wise, but also results-wise. I Mm -hmm. won a lot of races, and then you said the same thing. And then, I mean, even Bubba, Bubba, as a pro, like, I think he was... The model works. I mean, we were
1: doing the same thing at a smaller scale in Europe. Just going from race to race, camping, being each other's, you know, staying people's houses and just not going home for weeks on end. Um, it worked. Just constantly, <laughs> yeah. just, just being on your bike and constantly yeah. doing those gates yeah. and the sprints. It would still turns. work today. Yeah, well, I think so. I'll see Carnes' page to talk more about. Yes. Yeah, <laughs>
0: shout out to Berm Academy. Carnes, uh, are you doing an? Are you doing an old man's Berm Academy?
1: I. That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> With video. Thirty-five
2: and over. I mean, a few things happen. One, you just ride more, so I, I think you're going to get better or at least more fit just because you're being more active. Uh, the second thing is when you just stick to riding the local tracks or trails that you always do, you get burnt out and you kind of lose that excitement to go out and train hard or even ride at all at times mm-hmm. if you're super burnt out. And then also the variety, which is probably the, the real key component, is when you're constantly introducing new challenges, uh, you just develop your skills more and it keeps you fresh and excited. Yeah. And I think as a, as a whole, you'll just get benefits from it. And then, uh, Chris, so red line horror. Yeah. So, uh, the red line, I, I crashed when I was visiting some friends up in Oregon that summer, like, so right after worlds. And I, I had what's called a tibial avulsion fracture in one of my knees. When you're young, the ligaments in your body are weaker than the bone. So instead of tearing a ligament, you'll actually tear the top off of the bone where the ligament attaches to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I had that fixed and missed grands and all that kind of stuff, which was a bummer. I was sitting egg one, I believe, on both bikes. And when it came time to start looking at what I was doing next year, uh, I had a pretty candid talk with Greg. And he thought that I crashed because I was weak or because I got hurt because I was weak and I didn't train in the gym. And that could be true. I mean, it could have been if I had stronger muscle, I may have prevented the injury. I'll, I'll never know. But he also wanted me to turn pro at 16. And because I had only really raced nationals now, that would have been my second year, um, I, I didn't feel like I was anywhere near ready for that. I had aspirations. As an amateur, I wanted to get neg an one. And mm-hmm. I also wanted to be a part of a team environment that was submitting uh, competitive team sheets. And Tony D had reached out to... Well, you were like an ABA kid. Yeah. Well, I did a handful <laughs> of NBL races Yeah. No,
0: I mean, but as far as like just wanting to be on a factory team
2: wanting to get nag one wanting to be on the team sheet that's 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 cool yeah absolutely and you know at the time i don't i don't think there were very many kids turning pro at 16 this would have been before bubba had turned at that age um i'm not sure how many there's been after bubba's done that i mean i know greg turned as early as he could when he was 15 or 16 so maybe he thought that you know, it would be cool to see me take that path as well but it, it wasn't something that i was interested mm-hmm. in and, and i also don't think i had the necessary confidence to be able to turn pro and be competitive um you know with the the 90s pros at that point in time there i had a lot of personal development that i would have had to have gone through to have the maturity to be able to train consistently and and be on the level that it would have taken to compete with you guys so when tony called um uh, you know it was a no-brainer for me to take that opportunity they were the number one team at the time um you either rode for haro or you rode for the firm Mm -hmm. and uh, i really really liked haro's image i wanted to ride one of those monocoque frames more than anything (laughs) even though it would have been you know probably top two was an inch too big for me at the time i didn't care i wanted one of the monocoques Uh, haro had also sponsored Uh, yeah they had adidas at that time yeah yeah, and then uh Haro sponsored out of Santa Clara. Pal Alexis Figueroa, yeah. who oh, yeah, was yeah. someone I had looked up to as a young amateur, and also the the Land Shark Chris Acacia. Okay. Uh, he was on on Haro as well. So I, you know, you look at guys like that. They were the local amateurs when, when I was. Wine. Yeah, when I was the Grum. Yeah. Right. I mean, so that was it was a great opportunity. So I took it, and I uh, went to Reno for the first national of the year, and I probably only had about two weeks on the bike. And I'd really only been riding for about maybe a month and a half or so after the doctor cleared me to ride. And Tony had told me, he was very cool. He said, you know, no stress on getting back up to speed. I don't care about your results. Like, I know what, you know, I I believe in you. I I think you're capable of some great things. So take your time. That said, he signed me up for Open because he thought I could benefit from more track time. I I never raced Open. I was a cruiser and a class rider only. Mm -hmm. And I crashed in the first turn of the first moto of Open. And I had the same tibial avulsion fracture to my other knee, oh. uh, and that was you know the span of eight months or so. So you rode for Haro for, for one straightaway. For one straightaway, yep. Jeez. And I, uh, it was it was hard, uh, it was hard mentally to go through two injuries like that back to back as a fi- so young yeah. as a 15 year old. And because my parents were so risk averse and concerned about injury, um, you know, at that point they were like, "We'll buy you a car if you stop racing." You know, do do this that or that. They they encouraged me to. Not ride at least at that point in time. That's uh, they, tough at such a young age. I anyway. mean,
1: BMX then you just—I mean, we love it now, but we God, you really love it at that age, mm-hmm. don't you? You know.
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, it was everything, but the injuries were were difficult. And um, Tony was cool. He told me that I could take an entire year off and not touch my bike, and that if I wanted to come back the following season, I had a guaranteed factory ride. But um, I ultimately decided just to. Be a normal high school kid, and um, I stepped away from the sport for a while at that point. Just to, so, what did you do yeah. then, then? So, yeah, so I, I'd always had a passion for uh, electronic music, oh, I, yeah. I like house and trance music right, mostly. Yeah, yeah. So, but I can't dance. I'm like, I'm horribly dance, horrible at it. So, I, I figured it might be cool to DJ because I love the music so much, right. and then I wouldn't have to dance. And I, I started collecting vinyl and then mixing vinyl. Uh, and then did you, you know. go to like ra- did you even call it rave parties here or you yeah, could go yeah, ra- so. to ra- warehouse parties or like break-in yeah. parties yeah. I went to a few but it was you know it's kind of hard sometimes to sneak out like all, all hours of the night when you're 16, yeah. 17 year old you know parents are kind of wondering where you're at so um, I didn't go to a whole lot but I went to a few and then around the time I had graduated high school and I was 18 you know I went from a bedroom DJ to mixing at house parties to mixing at clubs to mixing at Warehouse parties, and I was kind of getting into it. I was working at a record shop, and I really, really loved the music and I liked a lot of the friends that I made. but as a whole, at least at the time, it was a uh, it wasn't the greatest scene. There was a lot of shady people in it, and you know heavy drug use was pretty predominant, and it wasn't necessarily the kind of thing that you wanted to be around. did you wear Jenko jeans? no oh. no, I never did anything I always looked like a BMXer. right yeah. Was always, but yeah, that was kind that of the same. I mean, in, yeah. Well, I, I was not a Todd Lyons PMX, so I would have been more of a. But the, I mean, at least in England, this Vision yeah. Street where you kind of yeah, bands, kind of the same jeans, deal, you know, maybe a chain hat, wallet, yeah. Hat. Well, no, no candy bracelets or pacifiers, yeah. nothing so you, like that. Right, had more of a Jesus, yeah. Jesus Jones vibe. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said something on
0: my Facebook about
2: Jesus I love Jones. Jesus like, Jones. I so do I, man. They're great. Yeah. All right. So that that was great, that was a you know a really fun period of my life but then when I was in junior college I had to get PE credits and one of the PE courses that was offered by the JC was mountain biking and I had been riding sporadically throughout that time on like either a hardtail or a cruiser and but when I took this class I was just riding much more consistently and my my fire inside got relit and then I was starting to ride all the time you know two days things like that
1: and then you kind of ease more into the, uh, I guess, four cross haven't come up there. So a bit of slalom as yeah. well? Yeah. Cross so
2: country? At, at the time, mountain bike racing was what year, sl- what year
1: are we in? That, then? This would
2: have been 2001. Okay. Yeah. So I wasn't, I had no interest in racing. I was just loving riding. Right. right. I mean, just for the adventure of it all, especially mountain bikes. If you go get lost in a forest somewhere, it's a pretty soulful experience and you get a sense of adventure. And um, yeah, I, I really like that. But I was also into dirt jumping, and bmX skills are great for that and I was at these local jumps in calabasas and Calabasas Park in San Jose, and there was another rider there who was a really, really talented rider, really fun to watch you know, just move all those people you watch and they just they have it right? mm-hmm. but uh he must have been uh, maybe perhaps intimidated by me or, or something, I maybe he was just super alpha and he didn't like me there. So he was trying to play chicken with me on some of the roller lines and got in my face and told me he was a semi-pro, right? Which is- Did he, I, have, did he have like the NorCal chip on his shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i said it <laughs> did he have the norcal chip on his shoulder <laughs> i don't know i'm norcal so i probably i, I, I wouldn't but, generalize but you it rode that for way. but you rode for la companies yeah. anyways i'm just yeah. bringing up some old stuff having fun yeah so he, he he was just super aggressive and he got in my face and told me how good he was and that he was this semi are we gonna say his name sure ryan finney hey ryan um, <laughs> he, he was a uh, how good are you ryan <laughs> no he's a he's a good writer i'm sure yeah, i'm sure but he, uh, so he says he's semi-pro, which is the equivalent of a pro. And I, I told him that I would turn pro and that I would beat him within a month. And just that confrontation kind of motivated me to rest. <laughs> right, yeah, right? yeah, right. So he I did. Out. I turned pro and um, I did beat him within that month. I first saw, you,
1: you know, I didn't know, but you was too young during your BMX times to, to, to come on my radar. But you first came on my radar. Um, I was easing into mountain biking at the same time a little bit just for fun. But... You was on profile, right? And you was doing the Nova stuff. Yeah. that's where I kind of, somebody said some BMX guy mm-hmm. got third behind lopes in mm-hmm. four cross and, uh, or something like that. And I, I think they, when it used to be on TV, so I saw the footage gotcha. and that's where I'm like, who's Chris Powell? Who's Chris mm-hmm. Powell? And I, you can see him ride and you could tell he was a BMXer. But yeah, that was the first time I kind of saw who he was.
2: Yeah, so at, at the time it was dual slalom, right? And that's, I wanted to race dual slalom because right. it's parallel courses that are, you know, in theory, supposed to mirror each other. Mm-hmm. You race someone head to head, but you're on a distinct course. So there's no contact. You're really just racing the clock. And I thought that would be great because I wouldn't have to worry about somebody just T-boning me or Mm -hmm. steamrolling me in a turn or anything like that. So I thought the risks of injury might be a little lower, and um, my parents were supportive of me doing it. But slalom at that point was on the way out in lieu of Mm four-cross. So I only got to race a handful of slalom races before the format changed. And then four-cross (laughs) – It was funny that I got away from BMX to try and avoid contact because yeah, yeah. four-cross really had Go no forward. rules. It was, right. it was roller derby. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the contact was expected rather than something that was just occasional. Mm-hmm. So how did you get on profile? So I, I got on profile through Daryl Cruz, who, going back to when I was an amateur riding free agent, was the single A on that team at the time. He was also racing mountain bikes and had a good relationship with Termite from profile. So I qualified well at... A Norba race in Mammoth—that was uh, just by far the best long course I've ever ridden. It snaked in and out of the half pipe. Oh, nice! And so in the summer, it's bowled out, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so large jumps, huge berms, really cool course. And I did really well in Termite. Um, he and I just clicked as as people, and it was a really good fit. So Profile started giving me support and product, and they were traveling to all the mountain bike races at the time, so I had a place to stay when I went and did races and things like that.
0: There was a brief moment where John Purse was on profile. Were you guys on profile together?
2: Yeah, very, a very brief time. I remember. That's funny. I remember him going to Mount Snow. Vermont. Yeah, because I
0: remember. Yeah, John raced downhill for a little bit, and you know, got his feet wet with uh, with mountain biking. Daryl Cruz incidentally was my roommate. Jeez, he's always liked mountain biking. Yeah, all throughout yeah. my tenure on Giant, and then you know, moving on probably till about two thousand two thousand one or two. Yeah. So. Uh, so that's when I knew about you because Daryl was riding and then managing free agent. Gotcha. And then, so I knew about you and your dad. And then um, we're talking about when you got on radar. But then you came to Kearney because you'd moved down here for school. Right. I'm like, who's this kid in this Audi? <laughs> 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 I'm just blowing him up right now. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and Thanks. it was you. And you
2: decided to come down here for yeah, school.
0: Yeah. And so we'd be at Kearney together.
2: Yeah, I I'm in 2003 or, or four or so. so yeah, I am... Yeah, I went the JC route and then transferred to San Diego State. I just came down here for the weather and the riding scene seemed great.
1: How did you do that? What was your first full year of, uh, I guess,
2: Norbas, right? Yeah, Norbas. That would have been, I think, around that time. Mm -hmm. Um, I did the, the full circuit Norbas and I did one or two World Cups that first year.
1: So Norbas, obviously, Lopes, Carter. How did you do that first year with them guys? Yeah, I, uh, I know you got some podiums,
2: right? Yeah, the the first race I did when it was a four cross format uh, was Durango, Colorado, and like crashed in qualifying, got back up, and like it was like fifty eighth of sixty four. Right, so I was on the bubble, but uh, did pretty well coming from outside gates because I had last lane choice, obviously. Then each successive round, and I, I think I made it to quarters there. Mm-hmm. And then the next race was the Norba Finals in Mount Snow, Vermont. Mm-hmm. And at what the, year is this? that? Would have been oh two or a three I think P- perhaps a three okay yeah so lopes and boots were up for the title that year mm-hmm. and it came down to s- now was boots riding for australia or usa but- at that time <laughs> <laughs> just kidding yeah <laughs> he was uh he was on track. but he was on track he Volkswagen. was on track at that yep. Volkswagen yep, yep. so he
1: had won the wells around a uh, two, yeah. I think yeah
2: and dual right. so was, my semi was uh Lopes boots myself and Somebody else. Maybe Brian Schmidt. Schmidt. Some, somebody. <laughs> Stacked. house yeah, was racing yeah. yeah, well, was the, yeah. yeah. I, at the time, the, the Norbas were as popular as World yeah. Cup. So yeah, yeah, all the, yeah. yeah. all the World Cup riders also wa- raced. Yeah, they came here to race. Yeah, and a lot of the like downhillers raced. World yeah, yeah that's Cedric well, so.
1: and Greg Menard mm-hmm. and all kinds of people. Yeah, yeah. K-
2: King, McHanna. It was the show. So. It was the show. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think the reason why they got rid of it just was cost, right? Putting it in. They still have four-cross in Europe, and they still have a world title for it. But I think in the U.S. they stopped because it just was a lot to put in those courses. Some of the mountain bikers felt it wasn't really mountain bikey, I guess
2: um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's absolutely cost prohibitive to do. I mean, to build a track that is fun for the pro riders to race on and also cool for spectators to watch is. You know, it's an investment that's probably on the scale of building a BMX Supercross track, if not more, because you're having to terrace a lot of it into a hillside, mm-hmm. right? So just the, And the, then the environmental yeah, concerns at some of these resorts. That's yeah, massive. So you build this track that maybe you know, 50 or 60 riders can ride, maybe only 20 of them well mm-hmm. in the world, and then amateurs can't ride, and then they'll do it once a year it's just not a great financial investment to do. So the the courses that we would often get, at least on the Norba circuit, were, yeah, I mean, they would just um, cut the grass and put up cones or flags at times and maybe have an occasional roller here and there. Those courses weren't particularly fun.
1: But But well, cup-wise, I mean... You know, Jason, you did a couple of World Cups in Europe. I mean, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, the did a, one. a night show. I did show. one. And
0: it was, and I, I just only did it because it was my honeymoon. It was a way to get a. I I remember you showed up honeymoon. in like Chalmers. Leger. Oh, was, was Leger. <laughs> and um, I qualified, which was, I had a good gate, a good first straight. But those two flat corners, those two flat lefts killed me. That was it? Yeah. Was it dual back
2: then? Was it, it, forecross? Was forecross, was no, yeah. it was four cross. Yeah, It was four cross. Road Tell us about game. some of your
1: World Cup success, because yeah. you, you did pretty good at that. Worlds, we raced a couple of times, didn't we? I like, always liked about Chris, because he was as you, confident, so we used to talk a lot of shit behind the gate, and even though Chris was kind of... He, he's,
0: he's a he, clean racer, though, right? But,
1: but no, I mean, like, he was a BMXer, but he hadn't done it for a long time, so, you know, but he had a, a legit first straight. Ah, so. I'd like to talk about that, his legit first straight. <laughs> so, so, check it out. One night at Kearney, right? Uh,
0: right. I just said to him, I was like, dude, check it out. Here's the deal. The guys winning four-cross are pro BMXers. Right. If you really want, if you really want to kill it in four-cross, you need to train like a BMXer. Right. And so, yeah, he hired. He was PH was his trainer for. I know you. I didn't. Yeah, we know we talked about this yeah, about a month so, ago at Sam's race at yeah. the uh,
1: uh, the Willoughby race. Um, I didn't know till you guys yeah, talked about so, that. So, yeah. 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 So it yeah, PH. So makes sense now. Fun. Yeah. So Chris,
0: Chris, we, Chris yeah. and I trained together a little bit too because Chris right. was my trainer That's at the same time.
2: But that that was huge for me. Uh, for my career at the time, I mean, I, I felt like I always had a, a pretty decent skill level and I was really, really good at conserving energy and just mm-hmm. having flow. Like I, I could ride down a mountain. You could ride a bike. Fast, right? Mm. But at times that was, uh, it could be a burden because I didn't have to work hard to get to that speed. Mm-hmm. And um, after I had raced for a few years and you know, had scattered podiums, but not consistent results and, and no wins, I knew that my uh, my leeway with some of the rides that i had was probably at the end of its rope and you know i had to start training super serious and and yeah, the conversation that we had absolutely sparked it i mean i recognized that like t- to be competitive and have longevity in the sport i had to train just like a, a bmxer because that's what the guys winning in the sport were doing
1: yeah no, Chris was totally legit. Yeah, in that first straight. Let's say we battled a few times. I still remember now talking shit behind the gate yeah. of the world. It was quarterfinals, semis. We were talking about yeah. lane Light like, who's right. going to win three and That's four. Can you That's so that, that yeah. would have
2: been that would have been a Right, it's like, R- good that it's at the worlds. Yeah, yeah, it was. Liger, yeah. Liger, yeah. So I had, that was probably the, the best race of, of my career. Everything. I was one of those races where everything just clicks for you right when the everything's lined up and that the mentals are right there. So I had. Uh, so you make that final? I had I had, I had hard heats. And I had like That's I, good I think You hard heats early yeah. Because that knocks people out Yeah I had I. Mm. I think I had IA Jose A um,
0: Lesson You young BMXers <laughs> listening There's a lesson in there So <laughs> yeah. Ali A
2: Yeah IA uh, Levi Levi Lord? Yeah, yeah. Levi oh, yeah, did yeah, yeah, so I, I forgot. He oh, won, yeah, a, World and yeah, him, he won a World Cup. was
0: good on him. He won a World Cup. He won like
1: Scotland,
2: didn't he? Yeah. 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 And I, I think I had Pro Cup in some of their. Either way, like. Yeah. You know, it was nor, legit. Normally at World Cup four crosses at the time, the heats started getting stacked around quarterfinals, but this was World Champs. It was my first one ever, and I had pretty stacked heats from straight you know, away, the, yeah. the round of 64 straight away. So I'd, um, I'd advanced and won all my heats moving forward. And then, yeah, when we got to, I think it was quarterfinals, mm-hmm. it was. Dale Thomas, myself, and somebody else—I don't—I don't recall who. Um, Probably Michael Morosi or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, somebody I, that you know is
1: good. i gonna be the last part of the track yeah. the Daniel. Guy that's gonna—I think—zoom by at uh, 50.
2: I think Thomas had because the, the way Four Cross worked is you had a qualifying run uh, the day before the race, and they took the top 64, and then the lower-ranked seed in each heat has lane choice. Right. So I think I qualified 11th. So I usually had second or third lane choice by the time you got into the deeper heats, and uh, Tomas had first lane choice. He took gate one, and then I had next lane choice, and I I felt like I had a good first straightaway, but I didn't particularly feel like I wanted to be sandwiched between Dale and Tomas, Uh, and I I thought that I would have a better chance of hole shotting if I was on the outside of Dale and him, because I I knew for sure that both of them weren't going to be in front of me at the first turn. They were going to try and cut each other off, and either one of them was going to get down the first straightaway clean, or they were going to both ball each other up, up and I'd have a uh, clear track ahead. Are you young pros listening to this right now? <laughs> right. So I remember I thought it was funny, Dale, because you I, I told you, you said, you, know, you have lane choice, Chris. And I said, no, you pick. <laughs> oh, yeah this, yeah, yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, this is the as well. And this is the world <laughs> yeah. championship. But, but I already, in my mind, I already knew where I was going, right? And, right. and I, I didn't want – because I, I respected you as a racer, and I knew mm-hmm. you had an incredible gate start and a fast first straightaway. So – I I didn't necessarily want uh, you to dictate where you were going to go in relation to me Mm -hmm. so that by letting you have the gate choice ahead of me, I could either pick you know 3 or 4 or wherever right like mm. I, I could decide where i wanted to go based on that dynamic of not necessarily wanting to be amazing. you can make yes. a more educated sandwich. choice yeah, yeah exactly yeah, 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 right yeah. so so you looked at me like i was crazy and like i was admitting defeat on right. the beat, right but then you if, actually snapped yeah, us all yeah, yeah you, 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 <laughs> you you thought Fair. like i was like i was beat because like i do right. i'm not going to snap you so i don't want to get next to you yeah but, but you really actually... in my head I, I was playing chess not checkers right and um yeah you guys i don't know what happened to you guys but i, I got the whole shot and moved on from yeah now i remember you you yeah.
1: came from the outside and beat us all down the first yeah. straight i think me now you went out in that one you yeah. and somebody else it and might was, been pro cup in that one i
2: Some... think might have been yeah it might have been anyway
1: yeah, you so were, that was, you that went was basically
2: a final right yeah yeah so was... my my confidence was sky high at that point i right. I, I had not put together that many consistent cool. laps you were I was on specialized then yeah i was factory specialized mm. at the time it was my first year um on that as well and it was a contract year and they had expressed interest in doing a long-term type of deal nice. with me so yeah everything was clicking and then semi-finals at that race was uh Michael, yeah, I saw was, your was, pictures of the yeah, night, Michael
1: was, from uh, Australia, Michael, uh, good kid who was good on a bike, he's still racing, Michael Robinson, Robinson. Robinson. Yeah, he it was, was riding Tiger.
2: there. there, Tiger, yeah, Tiger. Roger yeah. Right. and then Michael Prokop. Jeez. Yeah, so it would have been Prokop that was in our yes. order, and Prokop hole-shotted, and I was just to the outside of him, and then Rindekernacht did like this crazy dive-bomb move that in the first happened. turn, that, that was, yeah, <laughs> never going to work, and it was a, the first turn was a... It was 290, separated by a step-down in the full middle of it. Full speed, them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, high speed. You 30-plus easy, maybe 35 miles per hour. You were you were going full speed down. That track was scary fast. And he slid out, like lost his front tire, it pushed, and his bike darted across the track, and it hit me like a bowling ball. And I endowed off of the face of a step-up when I hit his bike, got ejected, and then just landed in the face of the landing, and, and the sequence bounced. is on your Instagram.
1: If anybody wants to go back and yeah, look, if check out Chris's Instagram, you can you put the sequence there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, Victor Lucas, uh, a really good mountain bike oh, photographer, cool. caught it, and I, I wrecked myself. Just that crash alone was hard. The impact of hitting this step mm-hmm. up, and then Michael Robinson also hit uh, our bikes, and then he basically had the exact same endo type crash that I did. But I was on the ground to break his fall, mm-hmm. and he body slammed me like a WWE right. wrestler. Yeah. So uh, wrecked. I wrecked. I broke ribs, and I was lucky that nothing else had happened. But um, I was obviously bummed because that was the end of my uh, yeah, yeah. my finals. And then um, – B final, right? Yeah, you, you get to race the B final because the, the two riders from each semifinal that didn't advance to the final race each other for fifth through eighth. But my bike was um, – my shifter had broken off, and my front – brake had been ripped off the bike I and mean, the bike basically wasn't rideable. And I, um, I got up to the start gate and just coasted down on my bike and, and got eight. and, uh, in hindsight, I, I wish that I would have contested that race, even though I was hurt mm-hmm. because it, at the time I, I just thought, you know, I, I'm not racing for the rainbow Jersey. I don't really care what place I get mm-hmm. if it's second or, or last, but you know, now upon reflection, it would have been cool to have said, you know, fifth. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. Anything other than the eighth yeah. that I got. But and, and Eric Carter had even offered me, because Eric had made the finals, and he was up there with his mechanic prepping for the finals, and he offered to let me ride his spare bike. That's cool. And um, I just – I had never ridden it. I, I just declined. I, I was hurt and, you know, not in the mindset that I should just push through it and go for it for a, for a fifth or eighth finish. And then he went on to – to win that race. High yeah, low. Uh, a, 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 mm-hmm. a, a brilliant move in the first turn that he and I had both done in practice once, I believe. And then not... It's kind of those things like you do it and then you don't... Save tap, it in your pocket. You know, yeah, because yeah. unlike BMX where everybody's kind of riding the same track and oftentimes riding it the same way, mm-hmm. mountain bike courses allow for a lot more creativity in how you want to ride it.
1: And so, I think a lot of those... You know, EC talked about the whole deal on, on his podcast we did and just more... Strategic, I think yeah. back then, you know? Well,
0: I can tell you this, because uh, there was one year when we were doing the X Games. So we were doing the downhill BMX. And St- Steve and I had taken our mountain bikes because we planned on racing 4-cross at Mount Snow, Vermont, the week after. So we did the X Games, and then we figured, oh, this would be great. We'll go back up to Woodward and ride the track on our 4-cross bikes. And you know that big downhill step up into that 90? Yeah. At Woodward East, sorry? um we were going on the inside of the corner <laughs> like right. it was the track was so much better yeah on that bike i mean we could go like it, it was fun like we were we were just like literally like talking to each other on the track like go here go there and like you know because we had front brakes and because we had suspension we could just really pick yeah, wherever well, we wanted to go well, at the, speed it was crazy the tires too as opposed to just holding on
2: yeah I mean, the tires, the geometry yeah. of the bike. So on a mountain bike, on a downhill track like that, I think you can attack the track, yep. and you can make things work for you. On a BMX bike, you're a little bit more passive, mm-hmm. and you just kind of have to ride whatever the flow of the track mm-hmm. is. So Yeah, I mean.
1: yeah. So I know you raced four-cross a little bit longer after that. Then, then what came after that?
2: Yes, yeah, so I, I kept racing four-cross for a couple of years after that. And then uh, 2006 would have been my last year riding for Specialized. And I was having a really good season. I think I was third or fourth in the World Cup standings. Um, had a podium at a race down in Brazil. And was also doing the Jeep King of the Mountain series, if you guys oh, remember. Yeah. Uh, those, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, those uh, are big money races. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like five or ten grand for first and 25 grand in a jeep for the winner it was like series. just a few people that were show up to money race. i got to go to one because yeah. somebody
1: dropped out i got like a wild card in. Yeah. And i think you, the minute you got there you got everything paid for yeah. which state it was the one up in northern california in that nice madonna inn hotel oh, yeah, yeah. you got 500 bucks just for showing team. up yeah i know oh, that's how it was for us for
2: the x games yeah, yeah. yeah you get a nice room you get three meals they would take you out to do um dinners or promotional stuff like mm-hmm. that I mean, it, it was a really cool experience because they they really treated you like mm-hmm. pro athletes and Nobody was giving you any kind of attention like that whatsoever. No one told you
0: to get off the infield? <laughs> <laughs> yep, Sorry. No, no, the only thing you had to not do, not you have that. to wear bibs, didn't
2: you? Yeah. yeah. The, the first couple of years they did the series you did. Okay, the one then, I, did, I did. And then the last year they actually had like legit jerseys. But you had to wear their jerseys. Oh, no, it was a jersey. Yeah, you're yeah.
1: right. Because I that's one of the few things I did save out it. that That's of...
2: So the, the last... See, yeah, 2006, I, I did the race in San Luis Obispo. It was towards the end of the series, or the end of the summer. And... I was in, I think, quarterfinals race in EC, and that those courses were um, kind of like miniature four-cross tracks, but you were racing someone head-to-head, and you each had your own individual start gate, but then you pretty much immediately emerged after mm-hmm. four or five gates, and then you raced on you know, a single track head-to-head. Mm. And they would take the time differential like they do in slalom, and then you go back up and you would just switch. So I had a, a small advantage on EC in the first lap And then we went up and switched and the second lap I had the lead in the race and he went for a move that was probably unlikely to work out, but it was a racing move and he lost his front tire and slid into me and caused me to crash pretty hard. And I'm not not exactly sure how the crash happened. I, I think I, um, it was in an S turn and I was just unweighted while I was switching directions when he made contact with me. So like I immediately just went to my face and my chest and I thought that I had a concussion at first because I'd had those before and the symptoms I was feeling were, were similar to a concussion. I was lightheaded, a little bit disoriented and you know, kind of confused and just generally hurt. And I went into the the tent that they had for athletes and sat down and the next thing I remembered I was lying on the ground and going in and out of consciousness. So like, I obviously knew something was wrong and the medics that were there were just ridiculous. They were checking me and telling me that you know, it was normal for me to be feeling the way I did because I had a big crash and that I was just dehydrated. And they were, weren't really seeming, you know, too concerned about it. But luckily, my, my father was there. He was a head and neck surgeon. And he started checking the vitals uh, in my feet and saw that I had little to no pulse. So that it was obvious that I was having internal bleeding. Yeah, well, and he, you know, immediately starts yelling at the EMTs to calling him dr just nelson yeah. man so, well, dr I'm nelson there. powell doesn't I, play i'm thankful he yeah. said he saved my life that's yeah. awesome um wow. I, I got rushed to the hospital and they uh, you know first started to try and figure out where i was bleeding from they give you like a dye that you mm-hmm. swallow and then uh they scan you and the dye shows up but i bled out while they were waiting for the dye to go to my body and like ah. i actually didn't even know this until like a year or two ago so like i I'd actually i bled out and you know clinically died That's crazy. And was given a blood transfusion, or, or, you know, apparently resuscitated. I, I don't, re- I don't remember any of this because I, I was in and out, and you know, I have very vague recollection of the, the time in the hospital, other than um, getting wheeled into the operating table and the doctor telling me it could be my liver, kidneys, or spleen. He said, um, if it's a kidney, you have two. If it's your spleen, you can live without it. And if it's your liver, let's hope it's not your liver. <laughs> he put the mask on. Oh, it. Wow. And luckily, it was my spleen. And, you know, they removed it. Clean you later. Yep, see you later. So apparently you don't need one, I'm still here. But <laughs> um, it, was, uh, it was a significant injury, and I had also had you know a lot of injuries throughout the time when I was racing Four Cross, and I never put in a, a full season start to finish, and Specialized decided to disband their gravity team at the time, and they did it late. So I was scrambling for sponsorship you know, after Interbike or so, mm-hmm. and pretty much just put together a privateer program for the next year it would have been 2007, and uh, I had some support through Avent Bombshell. Mike King was there at the time. Yeah. Okay, and, I remember they, that. Yeah, they gave me frames and yeah. know, stuff like that. And then I, uh, I think I, I didn't do World Cups that year, but I started the season doing the the USA circuit. It wasn't called Norbert at the time. I don't recall what was what it was called, but I had uh, won a race. Felt like I had some good momentum going. Then I went to Stumphauser's house to do the sprint trails sprint race. Trails. Yeah, sprint trails. Yeah, on, on 20s. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome, incredible. So much fun.
0: What and year was that?
2: That would have been 2007. Seven? Yeah. Not six? Yeah, seven. Okay, seven. Okay. And I, uh, I was in the semifinals at that race. That's pretty good. Yeah. I Earlier rounds, I think That's I Kalen when he came to the States. Yeah. and like I had some fast riders and um, was feeling good on the bike. And I, I really, I think I excel in that kind of tight technical riding and Tyler and I had a really really close race going, but I crashed. Tyler was on was he
0: on A B too? Yeah, we, we were teammates. That's at cool. The time I
2: but I uh, I crashed right before the finish line. Like I just took the last jump awkwardly and oh, I, yeah. I, I looped out and had to run it out because we were on flat pedals. And I was going fast enough that when I ran, I tore my ACL. <sighs> so the, coming from like you know significant knee injuries as a kid, the various injuries that I had during my racing career, uh, the spleen injury, and then my ACL. It was just a huge toll on me mentally that I had to do a serious you know, analysis of um, whether I wanted to continue taking that kind of risk or whether I wanted to do something else in the sport where you know, I could still be involved and, and help the sport as a whole, um, but not necessarily put myself in situations where I would be you know, exposed to that kind of high risk that you get when you're racing head-to-head with people.
1: So that led you into 07, 08. Now you started working a little bit with Jill and Mike Day, right, for the first Olympics?
2: Yeah, so because I had raced Mike uh, when he was racing Fort Ross and then worked with him briefly when he was at Avent, he got the job as the director down at the training center. And once the Beijing track got built, he'd asked uh, me if I would come down just to hang out with the riders and ride the tracks. And I yes and you and you yeah because at that
0: time that was like the first supercross track that was kind of a stationary track i was racing then and yeah you were one of the few people that oddly enough and you weren't a bmxer like we were really but yeah you you could ride the whole you could ride the whole track consistently (laughs) and you know you and mike day and then everyone else was like "Uh, i don't
2: know well it's funny whenever whenever i went to bmx races I raced a couple of single A, right? Like, I was the mountain biker. But then when I go race mountain bikes, You're the I, BMX, the BMX, so I, don't, I don't know, yeah. I'm, the, I'm the guy that likes to You're ride bike bikes. You're the but you could ride the hell out of yeah. that track. Well, I was, I mean, I hadn't touched a BMX bike since I crashed when I tore my ACL, and I showed up at the Supercross track and was like, okay. And I did a couple warm-up laps on the girls, second straightaway, got through it clean, and everybody encouraged me to go up and just drop in. So I, I think... Uh, I think Bubba or something, you know, just basically told me that like I needed to casually ride down it and just flow it. And that the flow of it was fine right. to get me over the jumps. So I took his advice and it was horribly wrong. Or at least my, my, <laughs> my pump was nowhere near as good as his. So I got the first jump clean. I maybe did one lazy crank for the second jump, which was large at the time. Mm-hmm. And I like maybe 70, 30 Yeah, because then up. that first jump was short and stubby. Yeah. Which was like too small for
0: the speed. And the second jump was too big coming off the first one right for the, for right.
2: yeah so I, I cased so hard <laughs> I, I was running XTR cranks because my BMX bike kind of looked like a mountain right. bike primarily because I had spare parts for my right. bikes so I didn't want to buy parts for the BMX bike but I you know I bent the cranks so I was like done for the day but then eventually um yeah I could got around to riding the track full laps and I built up a three-speed shifter bike for that uh which I loved riding out there and then because I was hanging out all the time I started getting to know Mikey a little bit better which is my funny day. My, my day yeah and he, he and i didn't partic- we weren't necessarily friends at the time um and hadn't been for a while stemming back to when he went out to sea otter one year i think this might have been like 2003 or 4 he raced four cross and we were in a quarterfinal together and i obviously knew him from when i was a young amateur and mm-hmm. you know knew him as a double a pro at the time and he, he didn't have the best first straightaway but he had a Legit, you know, a double A for straight straightaway. Mm-hmm. So I knew the chances of me horsing them at that point were probably pretty slim. But those gates at the time on the American circuit did not have a start cadence. The ski, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just a hydraulic gate. And then they'd have of that would pretty much tell you 10 seconds. And then the gate would just randomly fall. Okay, and I thought it meant seconds, when they used to open yeah, no, up, like it, ski style. It would fall yeah. like a normal gate. Right. So you were just reacting to the gate moving. Mm-hmm. N- no sort of... Um, auditory or visual right pose. it was real random yeah so the, the technique on those was just to start your have your foot your start pedal higher mm-hmm. and then don't lean wh- back as far oh not at all and when they say 10 seconds you like try and pedal yeah like, you're trying yeah. to get a gate start and move even though the gate does everyone's putting doesn't. pressure on the gate yeah, so it, it'll fall as down. hard as you can mm-hmm. so that when the gate moves or releases mm. you you like you just automatically lurch forward That's because really you had gate back. on it.
1: Stumpy <laughs> would have killed that gate. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and, then, and then by the
2: time you've reacted to that happening, then you get your gate started right. because your pedal was high. Now your pedal is in like the optimal the right gate started one. position. Yeah. So Mikey being a BMXer, never practicing that. Yeah. I was confident he didn't get that. So Mike didn't even get a first pedal. I cut him off like instantly <laughs> to shut him down. And that was just you know, okay. that was, Good job. That was good the job. strategy. You are yeah. a BMXer. Yeah. Well, try, trying to think, you know, how, yeah. how can I have the best chance of being in him? And he repaid the favor immediately in the first turn, and he punted me over the top of the turn so hard. And then um, after the race, he was talking with his friends about it, and they were just laughing about it, high fiving. And my parents were standing right there. And he didn't know that my parents were standing right there. So, so my parents tell me afterwards that like he's bragging. That, <coughs> I don't know if he was or not, but you know it was. I, I think I was bitter because I didn't necessarily view what I did as dirty. Although in hindsight, yeah, probably was. And then you know he obviously it hit me hard, and then was you know happy about it. So um, I was bummed because I was riding for Specialized at the time, and they're local in Morgan Hill, and everybody's there to watch me race because I'm their mm-hmm. four-cross rider. Yeah. And then you know that was that. But they
0: could blame it on the stats guy who took you out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. So but, but we started riding together at the center, and then you know actually found out we have a lot in common, and you know became pretty good friends. And now we joke about that story pretty frequently. He reminds me of it from time to time. So leading up to uh, the trials for him, I, um, I noticed his bike was just dirty. And I was like, dude, let me, you know, you're racing the trials. Like you gotta have a clean dialed looking bike. Let me help you. So mm-hmm. I offered to just give his bike a, a su- simple tune up and he trusted me to do it. So I um, took his bike home and I took it completely apart and you know, checked everything out, reassembled it gave it back to him fresh and clean and he uh, went on to win the trials. So it was cool to be a part of that. And then when that happened, Jill had also made the team and they were both Red Bull athletes Mm -hmm. and I knew that they were both going to build three or four bikes, um, you know, one to train on and then a a race bike and then an Olympic bike. And they also had shifter bikes built as well to test. So I pitched Red Bull um, a budget to have me be, Know, kind of their equipment manager and their mechanic. So I would then take responsibility for sourcing all of their parts from the sponsors. Um, that was a good budget because they even bought my gate off me. Yeah, they, I, I remember that. They I
1: bought, when the first random gate came out from the Pro Gates, yeah. I spent the, whatever it the was, grand. five, no, it was no, like, was like or five, five or six grand, and it was expensive. Yeah, I bought, well, you've got to buy all the stuff Everything. To, to make it work. So I did the whole thing and uh, the two-man gate, but I was kind of moving into vet pro and I'm like, I don't need this crap anymore. So anyway, Red Bull paid for that and took it down for Mikey, yeah. Red Bull was
2: incredibly supportive and then when you get, you throw in the atmosphere of it being first time Olympics for all these people, everybody, you know, even industry sponsors were excited just to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. So we uh, we had a lot of people that were willing to help us do custom made stuff. I mean, really anything we wanted to test, people were into doing it and I was thankful that during my time racing four cross, I had a, a full-time mechanic that would travel with us and I treated him like he was like a, uh, he's you know, a teammate, the, he, mm-hmm. not only the teammate, but I made myself his apprentice. Yeah. Like, yeah, I want to yeah. know, know everything about my bike so that I can do everything myself so that, you know, one, I don't have to pay for a bike shop to do it. And just, you know, I, I wanted to educate myself yeah. about it so that, even just from a safety standpoint if something needs to get fixed immediately i want to be able to know how to do it so i feel like i had a, a pretty good understanding of the mechanics of a mountain bike and a bmx bike is much more simple and i had always generally worked on my bikes and then eventually i took responsibility for prepping my race bikes as well and the mechanics role was often limited to just washing the bike or mm-hmm. maybe building it out of the box when we traveled towards the, the end of when i was racing so you know i I pitched Red Bull that as well and I said like, we can do something really special for these guys if, um, if you give me a lot of money. And you know, they, they did, and I, I say a lot, I mean it wasn't huge, but relative to BMX at the time, you know, I think we got like 20 grand or something to build um, 10 bikes and a lot of the stuff that they had was free from sponsors. But we were able to get some custom stuff done. Like I had a lot of titanium bolts and washers. Mm-hmm. Billy
1: Griggs did the frames, right? Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah there were Billy, Billy yeah. Griggs made
2: frames and they were all custom. And then we got like uh, tie washers and stuff. Some of them didn't have the right inner or outer diameters, and some of them were odd sizes, or, or the parts we needed were odd right. sizes, like the DXR pedal washers at right. the time. And my father were non existent. La- yeah. So my father in law worked at a, a shipyard up in the Bay Area that did you know, like military contracts and things like this. So a fully functioning um, machine, machine shop. shop. Yeah. So I, I sent off a ton of titanium stuff to them and had custom made washers and stuff like that nice. for their bikes. So, um, Pretty much every bolt on their bike was tied out. Bikes that, or parts that didn't have, um, you know, were weight bearing like chain tensioners and stuff like that, or the uh, the brake adjust on the brake lever mm-hmm. for how far you want the lever to go. Things like that, like we had aluminum bolts. Mm-hmm. Um, we had titanium pieces for their brake mounts. Um, the brake pad holders themselves and the V-brakes were tied. I mean, they, they were trick. And then we did full ceramic bearings on all of Mikey's bike down to like driver bearings hub bearings uh bottom bracket bearings jill's bike she was running chris king and we couldn't find easily available ceramic bearings for her hubs on those but so we just opened normal but she had ceramic everything else And, and they had a lot of custom painted parts and things like that as well but their bikes were incredibly trick and i think when you have a bike that you know, you, you, you feel as fast and it's got special stuff on it and it looks really cool. It helps your mental game, oh, yeah. oh, every I mean, Jason, you're, you're acutely aware of this. <laughs> Racing is 99% mental. I mean, obviously you gotta put in the work to get you to a point where you can be competitive if you're in the right mindset. But if you don't have the right mindset, it really doesn't matter how fit or strong you are. No. You're not gonna win if you don't have your mental's right. So it was cool to be a part of that process with them in, in helping just get them pumped on their okay. equipment. And um, yeah, so, you know, then obviously they went on to the Olympics and both medaled. So it was an incredible opportunity for me to get to be involved in their journey and to part, you know, kind of sharing their success, knowing that I had a, a small part and role in it.
0: Yeah. You were like the CIA agent for the <laughs> Olympic team. That's good. You were totally undercover. Yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, exactly. Fun. Yeah.
2: We, we didn't tell anybody that we were doing this. To you know, nobody knew what their bikes were. I mean, it's probably the first time I've ever even talked about about what we did. Just we didn't want anybody to have a a similar advantage, whether it was actually an advantage Mm or or not. But But
0: it was it. But that's a special feeling, and I think I think it's good for an athlete, especially going into a big event or you know, quite possibly the biggest event that you. Not only did you feel the support, but that you feel like you have that advantage. I remember. And I know, Dale, you could probably attest to this and you too, but sometimes you're, you're, you're feeling like it's beyond a feeling. It's almost like you're in such a good space that it's like the secret you have. <laughs> it's like the secret and you can't tell anyone. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. only way to tell people is to go out there and just win. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but it's like, but it happens. Yeah.
2: So that, that's kind of, you were part of that secret, yep. which is cool. Although Morris ended up winning and his bike had like, three inches of steer tube above his stem. and His bike chain, was terrible. His chain looked loose. His bike loose was terrible. And then he went to free agent and put another two pounds on it. Yeah. But his uniform was good yeah. the next time around. Oh, yeah. But, so you then,
1: know, meddling so at the Olympics, that.
0: I would call a win. Oh, oh. I would call that a win. Yeah, of course, I mean, Mikey, you can go
1: back and watch yeah. that. Finally could have maybe gone for it in that second, second turn. Maybe. Maybe, but I mean, second's still good. And yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a story.
2: It's a story for yeah. sure. I, I thought he was going for it when he pulled up close to even on the berm jump. But mm-hmm. Mark, just sucked it up I think yes, just he, enough yeah, to, yes. to keep his handlebar in front of Mikey's mm-hmm. and then if Mikey had gone for that move it would have yeah, already he,
1: it was but it would have been double carnage it, it would have either
2: worked or wouldn't he mm. would have either came out in first or he would have crashed yeah. right? so I, I, I think it was he you know, made the right choice it was the I right
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. second still good he, he did good from it
0: well, um, and I'm sure knowing Mikey, he's like, okay, I'll get him on the third straight. Right, yeah, yeah, still attacking I mean, that's him. what I was thinking when yeah. I was watching it. I was like, okay, he'll, he'll get him yeah. on the third straight. If not here, then right. there. So, right.
2: But perhaps his inside line didn't give him enough track speed right. to be able to do close to the Perhaps,
0: off. Mike Day, maybe you should come on the podcast and talk about that lap. Fans want to
1: know. Money. We have spoken about know. it a little bit, and he's down for it. He likes the party, yeah. so he'll come on. We We know he's listening. Yeah. Mike, we
0: know you're listening. <laughs> he's undercover. <laughs> undercover fan. You and Danny Nelson are totally listening. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let's move forward a little bit, then, So I I reconnected with you again. You know, I moved down to San Diego and started doing the local mountain bike cross-country stuff, and that's where me and you started racing again and battling again. We like battling for every Wednesday night. Quick and dirty, quick Quick and dirty. Quick quick and dirty. We'd battle for, uh, you know, fourth, fifth, and sixth in the the class. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, tell us about moving on to the San Diego scene, what you're involved in now, the pump tracks, and, yeah, you're still riding your bike all the time.
2: Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I guess very briefly leading up to that, after the Olympics ended, I kind of had a void in, you know, no real competition in my life, and I needed something. And Jason actually recommended that uh, you know I consider going to law school, and um, I pulled the trigger on that. Just took the LSAT basically on some show up, and away I went. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I mean, I always had a passion for um, business law, and like liked the class I took out an undergrad, so it was a good fit, and it definitely filled that competitive void because law school is hyper competitive, and students that do well get scholarships and things like that. So um, But I needed to ride at the same time just to stay sane, right? I mean, you have to have stress release and to keep you balanced and things like that. So I started riding a lot of uh, trail bikes and cross-country type riding and racing local Enduros and things like that. And then that's how we linked up.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And then um, just recently, you got involved in uh, potentially two, but uh, tell us about the the pump track that uh, you're in the middle of.
2: Yeah, so there's a there's one pump track facility in San Diego currently. Tyler Brown's facility down mm-hmm. at the what do they call it now? The high performance athlete center. Beats me. Yeah, i got the the old the, OTC the, the Chula, Chula Vista yeah, so Training Center. Or something. Elite, yeah. elite Elite training, training center. Uh, elite, yeah. elite training center. Yeah. So Tyler has a really really great facility down there, but it's in the southern part of San Diego, and there's no similar facilities anywhere else. So I um I knew of a community park that was getting developed in a, a neighborhood in North County, San Diego. And I found my way onto a citizens committee that um, went to various public hearings where the community could come and give input to what type of program, sports program, and they would like to see in the park. And the people on the board had also opportunities to propose ideas. And I just started pushing for a pump track super hard and got everybody on the board excited about it. And also was able to rally enough public support and people coming to the meetings and writing Mm -hmm. emails that um, it just seemed like a no-brainer or something Mm -hmm. that had to be included in the park. And once we got some good momentum going, uh, Parks and Rec, who will oversee the park, actually came in and said, no way, we can't do this. And they just outright rejected the idea long before we even voted on Mm -hmm. a a final thing. And the the lady told me that they didn't have the experience with building and maintaining it. So I, I asked her during the hearing... Who she talked to 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 form that opinion she told me she went down to the local pump track in Kearney Mesa and talked to the operator well instantly I knew she didn't know what she was talking about because she went to a and local neither
0: did that operator in Kearney Mesa pump. know what he was talking about no,
2: I, I, I won't get into that but I'll get into her she she <laughs> I'm really gonna have yeah. to pay
0: when I go down there she went to a,
2: she went to a BMX track yeah and, and, asked, and asked what kind of maintenance is required to run a BMX track and, and the operator told her that you have to rebuild the track once a year so that's she, odd. Yeah, I thought it was that retro- track's been the same for years. Yeah, or maybe, okay. or maybe he said resurfaced and she took that right. to be rebuilt. Re- re- but either way, she had no idea what it was talking about. So I, I found out the 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 basis for her knowledge, mm-hmm. and then I told her she didn't. You know, she was wrong because that's not what we're proposing. And then I asked her, how can she say no to something that she doesn't know what it is? So that earned me a meeting where I was able to sit with her and various other people in Parks and Rec. Um, who are effectively going to be the decision makers, at least at the preliminary level, to educate them as to what pump tracks were specifically and how to do it. And then from there, Parks and Rec um, gave the the concept, the green light to proceed. Our board voted to approve it. Then it went to a local area committee who approved it, and then it went to Parks and Rec and was unanimously approved. So the park is currently under construction. It's got around a 17,000-square-foot facility that has two pump tracks in it, uh, there'll be concrete riding surface, which will be the first in, uh, nice first in the United States. I believe there's yeah. one in Canada, but the the builders are a skate park builder who hired uh, Pump Tracks USA, which is Tom Ritz's crew, to do the dirt layout. Cool. So cool. I mean, it's a it's a really cool track to begin with, and then when you get someone coming in who's a uh, the company's is called Spawn Ranch, and they're from my research, they're one of the nation's leading skate park builders and have done work for Dutour and things like mm-hmm. that i mean they just do beautiful it's almost like artistic mm-hmm. work right? right so they're doing the concrete on it and i think it's going to turn out to be an amazing one-of-a-kind facility here in san diego is the
0: concrete going to be a little textured
2: yeah it's brushed while it's right. dry so but will you be able to ride a skateboard on it too i would think probably yeah oh, that's cool so it's supposed to be bikes only but I mean, it's going to be very difficult to monitor. I kind of butted heads with the head of the skate park company because he told me that he thought it was going to be really cool for skateboarding in one of our first meetings, and I was like, "Well, we're you know, we're not really allowed to go ride in the skate parks, so <laughs> this is going to be bike only, and we should be yeah. taking active measures to right. keep the skateboarders out." And you know, that might not have been tactful for me to start off a meeting that way. Well, but. I think
0: they've kind of laxed on that now with skate parks and bikes because it's something changed
2: yeah somewhat there in the law there was some ambiguity in in the hazardous recreational use statute as to when certain activities fall under that uh, immunity for governmental entities and there was something that clarified it that basically just said if the local municipalities post certain signs that have warnings then wheel activities that are occurring in those parks will fall under the scope of protection in that statute so yes Bikes can be allowed in the skate parks, but it's still up to the people that are you know, running the skate parks, the land managers or whoever, mm-hmm. if it's leased out to a private person or entity to, yep. to operate them and maintain them. It's up to them to decide whether or not they want to allow right. it. And most skate parks still don't allow bikes, and they have an arbitrary uh, understanding of, that they think that the bikes are going to cause damage to the skate parks. And I, and, yeah, I don't think there's any basis for but yeah that is the way it is so it's San
1: Diego is really hopefully and then even since that um, Chris reached out just before Christmas to us he knows that you know the YMCA stuff we're doing that and he's, he found some land or something so my wife connected Chris mm-hmm. with somebody high up at the YMCA you guys had a meeting yesterday and some good positive came out of that right
2: yeah absolutely we, we met down at uh, Better Rose Coffee in Hillcrest and um, I just read a article in like a local website that covers just like local area news about a four acre park that's gonna be developed kind of near the fifty six, about ten minute drive from the current track that I was working on getting done. And she was, uh, it was a great meeting. I mean, I, I got to educate her about pump tracks because she was a road cyclist, so she really didn't know. And then when we got to the point in the meeting where I was going to try and sell her on, you know, why we could do a small pump track in this specific neighborhood and why it would be good for that neighborhood, she just, like, stopped me and cut me off and didn't want to hear it about the neighborhood. And I was like, ah, great. She's just like, you know, pump track, even if it's small, will probably be too big for this facility. But we've got another facility mm-hmm. that's three times as large. Nice. And she thought it may be a great fit for that. Mm-hmm. So. She was going to take the information I had given to her and discuss it with other people within that organization. And I'm cautiously optimistic. She seemed receptive to it. And it would certainly be a unique programming alternative um, for the Y. -hmm. And because there's such limited resources for kids – or even, you know, experts and pros that are on BMX or mm-hmm. hardtail type mountain bikes. There's limited opportunities for them to do it, so mm-hmm. I think the the one park that is going in and will be open in around September isn't going to be able to handle the volume that it's going to get. Mm-hmm. So it would be cool to have another facility that's somewhat nearby.
1: Yeah, it's great for the San Diego scene. You know, so we, we've already been brainstorming all kinds of things yeah. we want to do and cool stuff. So I think, yeah. yeah, it's going to be a good spot in the next couple of years. Well, I,
2: I, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of local tracks, you know, I know as an outsider that the local track numbers are are dwindling and, and there's issues with participation at the local level. But as an outsider, I see one of the main issues being is significantly limited hours of operation. You have a chance to ride three days a week for maybe two to three hours each night, and then the tracks are closed. You also have to drive to wherever the track is. Sometimes that can be, you know, pretty inconvenient. The tracks often at the local level do not change consistently. So you have a significant amount of burnout because you're just riding the same types of obstacles. And, uh, well, at least locally, some of the smaller tracks um, you know, need upgrades to bleachers and things like that as well. So yeah, for, it's not a very good yeah, user, so, user experience at some of the local tracks. Yeah, and so for parents to go, it's like, do I want to go sit on some old bleachers that are you know in, in an area that doesn't look super presentable? But I have to say,
0: we have to say, because going to Chula Vista is a pleasure.
2: Yeah. Like, I, like
0: just so people know uh tyler brown and chula vista that chula vista bmx they they got it right as far as a good experience with the sport of bmx yeah. well, especially yeah. now he's
1: put that new pump track in because yeah. now practice on a saturday is uh, a, two fun. to four and you yeah. can we i mean we you went to the opening all three of us we do doing we were going the bmx track and then we were riding the pump track and we then were, was, we were riding like
2: yeah it was yeah. meant to be done <laughs> yeah no it was like it was
1: doing yeah exactly totally.
2: so no yeah uh you know yeah. hands down tyler's done an incredible job there that's I think that's one of the nation's leading facilities. Mm-hmm. and kind of where I was going with that is you know the the pump track facility that he has right next to it. I really think that's the the key or one of the keys for increasing participation in the support is it's not necessarily just having more local tracks, but it's having um, pump track type facilities in public parks where kids, can go and develop fundamental bike handling skills mm-hmm. and, you know, improve their fitness and also kind of get into the habit of riding their bike. Like if there's, mm-hmm. there's BMX-type facilities or pump tracks in local parks that they can ride their bike to and they get into biking, perhaps they're going to start riding to and from school and stuff like that.
1: And then all different opportunities to do on top of that, right? Yeah. You know, coaching and uh, events and...
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I think once... The, the key for advocacy in this space is really just educating whoever the people are that are the decision-makers for whether or not... To and having the existence. right
1: people, like, say, like, somebody like you, Jason, you two guys. I mean, like, like I was say when we found out about this why I said to my wife, I said, just saying, Chris, he I, I, can talk better. I don't know, you can as well, Jason, well, a lot better than I can, you know? Well, it's, it's funny just, you say
2: because we talked a lot about you in that meeting, right? Yeah. As a perfect example of why that would be something that's good for the YMCA, is because you do it in conjunction with your summer camps, but you don't have a home. I mean, mm-hmm. they're already putting energy into you know, these types of activities. Yeah. This yeah. It's, it's
0: interesting because we have a park next to our house in Carlsbad and, um, and it's a great park and it has a, it has a skate park. And so you can drive by a park and the basketball courts are somewhat being used. The, f- the soccer fields and baseball fields are not always being used. And I get that, the, that, there's team sports and, you know, there's scheduling and organization, but the point is that's a lot of space that's not being used all the time. But skate parks every time you go by a skate park or every time you go by a, some kind of or even a playground structure yeah. someone's always on it someone's always in it and so i think from a pump track standpoint i think it's the same thing someone will be using that thing the, someone don't. will be using that thing the whole time it's you know as long as the lights are on it'll be used they opened a skate park yesterday. You see on the news, Linda
1: Vista, 3 yeah, million, the yeah. Tony Hawk Foundation. Yeah, yeah. Was, it, was, it, was, it was all on the yeah. news yesterday. Wow. Steve Caballero, all them yeah. guys were, uh, Cesar who would listen to this. Um, he could tell you more about it, but I was, I was looking for, he was there as well. But um, yeah, so it seemed like. Yeah,
2: that's incredible. S- mm. Skateboarding is boomed, um, particularly in San Diego. Mm-hmm. You have a lot, of, um, a lot of athletes that achieved mainstream success, yeah. like, like Tony or Andy McDonald's and guys like that. And then you've had really good um, organized um, organized activists that have gone out and gotten a lot of public mm-hmm. support for it and things like that. And they just built a lot of momentum off of that. Mm-hmm. And you got mainstream acceptance of it because of X Games and guys like Tony Hawk and yeah. stuff getting
1: video games. I mean, that Tony Hawk was became... on his Instagram two days ago. He was literally dancing on the dance floor at some party in LA, <laughs> LA with uh, Paul McCartney. Yeah. Good for him. You know, I so... mean, the reach he has, you know. Yeah. It's...
2: But I, I think that you know, just continuing to build more and more skate parks isn't necessarily the answer for communities because the, you know, it's relatively saturated or yeah, yeah. there, There's so there's many enough places them. to stay. Yeah, but st- my point was yeah. just
0: like use of land space, right? Like if I own an office building or if I own an office space and it's not being rented out or if it's just not being utilized, then I want to, I'd want to rethink the purpose of that space. And so I love soccer, I love basketball, not as much as BMX, clearly, but right. my point is I drive past enough parks and see empty fields, yeah. but I don't see empty skate parks and I don't see empty pump tracks when they're built. Yeah. That's all. We've been,
1: my daughter started skateboarding a little bit, so we've been going down to the Poway um, skate park a little bit at the weekends when we can. Uh, and it opens at eight in the morning, so we're like, let's go at eight o'clock when nobody's there, mm-hmm. you know? So we went a couple Sundays before Christmas, but let's get there at eight o'clock, before everybody got there. We oh. got there. It was already busy, man. A bunch of you guys there was, <laughs> getting yeah. there before everyone but there, got was like, but there was also like guys that were good, yeah. and, you yeah. know. I don't know if they were pro level, but yeah. to watch. So obviously they go well, early as well to get the session. But right. well, you know what I'm saying, 8 o'clock Sunday morning, the place was pretty busy, you know. Right. So. Well, you
0: you want mm. to get it in before you have to take your kids to right. their sports. And their yeah, sports, just so. where it was
1: less busy, but, it, right. but like I say, it was totally, was busy, you know.
2: So, I mean, I mean, ultimately, I would say that there is a, a shift now with land managers and cities and counties uh, for what they're going to use for new parks or for maybe converting existing areas Spaces, that are, yeah. aren't being used to their highest and and, and best purposes so um, skateboarding's done really well I, I think pump tracks or bmx and mountain biking can kind of piggyback off of that success and the key is really just educating people about what it is specifically that you're proposing with a pump track so that they can see that it's a uh, a safe alternative for a bike-specific facility that requires little mo- little maintenance can accommodate two-year-olds on balanced bikes to, you know, however old you are that you would want to ride it and you can do it safely. And also at the same time, pump tracks are unique in that it can help teach you these basic skills when you're a beginner, but an expert or a pro can still have a lot of fun riding it because you have, you know... Creative options for how you want to ride the track or link rollers together and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know unlike something that's that's specific in the sport, like dirt jumps or a BMX track or a park or something like that, where you're just going to get really one type of rider out there riding it. With a pump track, you're going to get all types of riders mm-hmm. out there riding it.
1: No, I was say it's going to build the scene even more. Yeah, that's good. It's uh, yeah, we say we've got some great ideas, just what we want to do. You know, so um, excited about the next uh, couple of years in the San Diego bike riding uh, scene. Um,
0: Let's where are we fra- taking this podcast, Dale? When are we what? So where are we taking this podcast? What's next?
1: What's next? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I guess let's, let's wrap it up. we been going an hour and 15. But I think we should definitely do another Pump Track update. And like say...
0: Pump Track Nation, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Talk about some uh, kind of what we just spoke about. Yeah, the last well, there's minutes. a bunch
0: of stuff. Because cause, cause Chris does have the unique perspective of BMX and mountain bike. And maybe possibly merging those two worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris was telling me off... Not off camera. Off mic. that he made a post I don't know if it was a post but he had mentioned back in the day that that we should be riding mountain bikes on some of those downhill bmx tracks and he got he got slayed for saying (laughs) so that'd be an interesting conversation to have um yeah and then just there's just a bunch of stuff the politics of bmx the advocacy for cycling and you know
1: last question chris um before we before we end it um what do you think of current say you're a big fan you watch it what do you see in current bmx racing
2: Yeah, it seems pretty serious to me. A little bit too serious. Mm I think that would be my observation. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I started racing mountain bikes, I I did it because there was this sense of adventure involved, an opportunity to travel, and um, the environment was just different. Well, When I see guys racing now, there seems to be pretty limited sponsorship opportunities. So some of the guys that are um, consistently going to all the World Cup races are doing so under their national teams, right? And that's obviously a very structured environment, I'm sure, for most of them. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like, you know, the the end goal is always Olympics. So every cycle, it's just preparing towards that goal. And and I think perhaps they've, the sport has kind of taken some of the grassroots fun out of it because everybody's just hyper focused on I want to be an Olympian. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, for instance, I recall seeing some of the BMXers race crankworks pump track at the end of last summer. The Aussie guy what's his name, Bodie um, Turner. Bodie, Bodie right? Turner, yeah. yeah, and, and uh, he did. I think even did he win? He won. He won yeah, yeah, he yeah, was, yeah. He did he won. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he, he killed it. And, and BMXers and you got on a pump track, like you know how to pump a bike. Mm-hmm. There was there was some salty you, mountain yeah, bikes. You, you, about don't, you don't have to turn a bunch, but you, you could <laughs> just you could watch him and you could see yeah. him in his interviews. Like I mean, he was just blown away by like that this environment was so fun and the people were there to watch it. And it was a festival type thing, and you're having fun. And it was something new. So it, it would be cool to see some sort of an organized effort in BMX. It doesn't have to be nationally, just locally or regionally where you had smaller type pump track events or I think mm-hmm. they had like a straight rhythm race in Colorado. Yeah, for it was cool. was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah or, but, know, the, but the bike was open to whatever. Yeah. The, and it, it was, was right it was open in city, whatever city whatever as well. I yeah. Wanted, yeah. Sprint trails things. I mean like just do, do some – give these athletes some opportunities to showcase their skills to people that wouldn't otherwise see them in an environment that will be fun for them and maybe put some cash in their pocket. I think that could go a long way for improving the morale of the guys that are actively out there on the, the circuit that are trying to... Mm-hmm.
1: You know. Well, let's, let's do this again. Let's talk uh, yeah. pump track Local Scene again in the next couple months. Chris, it was good talking to you. If anybody wants to get hold of you, needs a lawyer... Uh, needs to get divorced, fight a case. (laughs) No no, no family law. This (laughs) is divorce law. I'll
2: I'll give you a referral. Execute a trust. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, find me on uh, Instagram at uh, at MTBESQ. It's probably the best way to reach me or you can find me on Facebook as well. Mm
1: Mm-hmm and uh, I can also watch some of your watching the one that you posted there cool little line it was at Chula Vista last week he was doing some transfers and stuff
2: yeah done at the uh,
1: Santa Tyler's new pump track you were yeah.
2: with Jill yeah she came down her and Bryn are trying to escape the winter up in Seattle so she's spending some time at the That's Rebel cool. facility in Santa Monica oh cool came down on weekend to watch Supercross and we went and she's still killing
1: uh, it as well isn't she man working yeah. Jill yeah, yeah. yeah
2: she's uh, an incredible athlete and she's managed to reinvent herself um, as time has gone by and been able to adapt to new, um, new types of competition in the sport, right? I mean, whether it was down racing or pump track racing, BMX, slalom. Yeah, slalom, yeah, she just, yeah, air yeah. DH, she, she, I think she, she conquers something, you know, uh, achieves at the highest level and then looks for a new challenge on mm-hmm. the bike. And yeah, she's and, awesome. Yeah. yeah, she's yeah.
0: Done. Well, I know one of her main things is progression and getting better on the bike. Yep. So it's kind of like a, you know, she kind of, she, she's competitive Clearly, But I think she likes to set the bar just a bit higher for herself and she just keeps – she holds herself to high riding standards. And so that – so kind of in a weird way takes the competition out of it. So it kind of – the competition kind of take, takes care of itself for her.
2: Right. Well, in some of the sports she was competing with herself – yeah, for a while for too sure. I, right? I always liked her attitude yeah. when
1: she you was know, when it was mid 2000 when she was racing NBL pro oh, yeah. girls and she was like yeah she liked her, you know, the way she talked and that she was mm-hmm. hungry and she would I'll cut them off and yeah. we, I used to like all that with her yeah. it was cool yeah, yeah. true
2: competitor
0: it's good
1: yeah no definitely Jason anything last words from you
0: that's it thanks for having me on I always like being a guest
1: yeah thanks we should do this again maybe we'll make this uh, your office Chris this oh, is our like new like uh, headquarters, headquarters HQ really close <laughs> for me really fancy. I pass here every day on the way to dropping my daughter off Um, so yeah Jason thanks for uh, cruising over as well Chris awesome talking thanks
2: again Yep. no thanks uh, thank you
1: yeah and uh, yeah you can check this out on uh, BMXweekly.com High Low the BMX podcast on iTunes and that's it cheers for listening oh wait I have
0: something I do have something hype it so check it out Uh, yeah want to give a shout out to Carly Young and I will be in Pittsburgh February 3rd 4th mindset training camp and I'll also be at the wheel mill Check that out. Is that that indoor skate park? Yeah, yeah. Right. So boom, hashtag all wheels sailors. matter. Yep, all wheels matter. And uh, and yeah, check out my new website, drjasonrichison.com. I would love to come and talk about BMX success and riding bikes and how to do that and make a, make a go of it. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Shameless plug. See you next time, guys. Cheers. Peace. Awesome, thanks.